It's Wednesday on Weagle, and that means it's time for some tailgate talk with Christian and Donovan, your go-to for all things college football. So get ready for a recap and a breakdown of all the college football scores, news, and predictions. So drop your tailgates, grab your playbooks, and get ready to talk some football. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Tailgate Talk. My name is Christian Griffin, and I am here with the soundboard technician, arguably the best dressed in all of Plainsmen, one who needs no introduction, even though he just got one anyway. Mr. Donovan Weaver, man, how are you? This yep. this week's going to be pretty interesting. No, very interesting. We, we have a lot to talk about, especially when it comes to our uh, our school. But no, dude, I'm happy to be here again. Loving doing this every week. I'm just super pumped. Yeah, no, just happy to happy to be able to share some knowledge and. You know, this week, yeah, like interesting. Interesting is a nice way to put it. I feel like we both got a little, little flames towards towards a couple of the games, but we might as well go ahead and get a little get started. We'll give a little brief recap of what we're looking at here. Obviously, we're going to start off looking around everywhere but Auburn, whether it's the Braves and the Falcons or any news around there. We're going to go through a little week three recap. Once again, we're going to start. We're going to uh, the second week actually on the who's hot and who's not. Uh, I actually got a lot of good feedback. For, for that little segment, oh, just because real? it's not necessarily, you're not shoving statistics and everything, we're just almost talking. I actually, I did, I got a lot of good feedback for that one. No, that was all, and that was all Christian, by the way. He he literally, last week, he said, hey, I have a really good idea for a segment. It was probably like 30 minutes before the show, and he told me, I was like, yeah, dude, let's just do it. I was like, yeah, let's run it. So we, we, we researched really fast, but we had a little more time this week to research just a little bit longer. Yeah, we got some good ones this week. And then finally, we'll go into a week four preview, and we're going to end with something that, Auburn might not hope that we have time for, but we're going to make sure that we oh, have time oh, for. We'll have time for the Auburn Tigers. Don't worry. We're, we're going to get to them. Yeah, looking at it first, we got a little Braves update. Uh, they took a little shot today following or falling 3-2 to two to the Nationals. That brings them to a game and a half behind the New York Mets. But we can go ahead and look in the bigger picture. Playoff sp- or playoff spot has already been clinched. Yeah, the Braves do clinch uh, another playoff uh, spot for another year. Brian Snecker just – just consistency, obviously winning the World Series last year. But I mean, we've been going to playoffs a lot recently. It's just, it's just, it's nice, especially we are, we were both Braves fans, just to see this consistency, just making playoffs year and year in and year out. It's a, uh, it makes me happy. It does, yeah. And it's, it's, I don't want to say relieving, but I feel like every year towards the end we start to worry a little bit about the bullpen and how they're struggling a little bit. But then the playoffs kick in, and it seems like the bullpen almost locks down. You know, in that last year with the night shift and everything going on. I hope I'm hoping it can be the same way because Kinley's had his few his struggles and stuff like that, and the rest of the bullpen obviously today a little bit. But I'm hoping they can lock it in before four playoffs get started. Yeah, the Brewers are actually beating the Mets right now one nothing, bottom of the six. So well, they were up like four nothing last night. Then yeah. Lindor hit a grand slam. Yeah, I know, very very upsetting. But uh, also the Falcons dropped a 0 and two, unfortunately, almost completed an amazing comeback. We're down 28 to three in the third quarter. So close, but Mariota, that last uh, last drive, throws an interception at the goal line. They follow the Rams 31-27. I know it's very upsetting because it's weird. So, like, last week, you lose in one of the worst ways possible. You blow a humongous lead. And this week, you almost complete the miraculous comeback and fall just short. It just seems like the Falcons keep on finding new ways to lose, which is <laughs> actually is very impressive. But, again, I like what I'm seeing from the offense. It looks I a agree. lot better. And I know a lot of people are like, put Desmond Ritter in. I've liked what I've seen from Mariota personally. I have, a, I have too. Other than that interception, I feel like the mistakes aren't there. Obviously, the, the rust is still there a little bit with the every single play type of action. But – 
He's not making the mistakes, and I mean, he's got the athleticism to, to definitely carry that offense. No, I'm about to say, I love what he's doing with his legs. Uh, Drake London, dude, he's a monster. Yeah, he is. I, I can't, uh, just a great pickup by the Falcons there in the draft. Uh, I, they just need to get Kyle Pitts more involved. Oh, 100%. I mean, I mean cause I personally, I'm, I might be a little biased. I do think he's probably the most talented tight end in the league, and he just really hasn't seen, hasn't really seen a lot of action. We just haven't been giving the ball to him, but I don't know. I, I feel like, once we progress later in the year, that'll that'll start to his numbers will start to go up. Yeah, just hopefully we don't have to see that twenty eight to three score anymore. I yeah, that like was that tough. Still, still brings back some nightmares. It almost like what you were saying. It almost brought it around to where we got a little bit of a good feeling about it, but no, it ended up that bitter feeling still sticks with all of us. Yeah, almost, almost. But are you ready to talk about a little week three action? I am. Let's get into it. Okay, so first off, and this is a heartbreaker for me, obviously. I I told y'all last week I went to Troy my freshman year. Love the Trojans. Always root for them. Almost pulling off a huge upset against App State, but just losing 32-28 on just one of the most just ugh, that it's hell just college football. I mean, yeah. that, that's all you really have to describe that play. I feel like it was almost destiny. I mean, you you bring college game day into Boone, North Carolina for the first time ever. Yep. App State doesn't look very good for the entire game. You almost just you're almost in there. All right, what's what's going to happen here? I remember watching it um, when we got back from the game. And I, I turned it off because I was on ESPN. And I was like, "Wow, Troy has the ball. They're up four. Like it's gonna, they're done. Yeah, it's over." Yeah. And I looked back like, you know, a minute or two later, and it was like, "No way." You but know, it just seems like it was. That's how it was destined. To no, be. it was. Kind, it was kind of funny because obviously I was I was working the Penn State Auburn game. Unfortunately for me, <laughs> and at that point the game was already over. So we put on the TV the Troy. I was like, "Oh well, I mean, at least Troy's gonna get a big win for me." Yeah. And then I watched that Hail Mary, and I was just, I just sitting there in shock. Like, how did that happen? And it was funny. There was actually a, uh, there's a video of uh, Troy sorority girls like getting oh, up, I've seen yeah, that. getting <laughs> up and screaming because they think the ball got knocked down. And then obviously the App State player catches it and runs in the end zone. And then they're just like look of shock, like yeah. what just happened? Surrender Cobras. No, but and then we have, and I was wrong about this because I, I, I picked Brigham Young, and wow. Oregon just they they beat the brakes off BYU just not even close. Uh, they really did. 41-20. Yeah. Uh I mean it seems like Bo Nix against anybody but Georgia seems to to flip the coin the right way. I mean he went off 257 total yards, five total touchdowns. His first ever three rushing touchdowns. Yeah, I say game. three rushing touchdowns, yeah. And I mean I just feel like he's getting more and more comfortable in that Pac-12 type of scheme where he's able to just go out there and make plays. You know, in the SEC you have the Money Manziel, you have the Bo Nix type of plays, but it's hard for a single person to just control and dominate a game. But if you went and watched that game, I mean, that's literally what he did the entire game. Yeah, he only threw the ball 18 times, completed 13 of those for 222, and then also, yeah, used his legs for another, what, 30-something yards. And, again, three touchdowns on the ground, two in the air. No no interceptions or fumbles. That's just a pretty clean game. And, I mean, they got the job done. BYU just couldn't really do anything to stop them. No, yeah, it, it brings back the Oregon, like, is Oregon legit? But if that's the case, that almost that is it, shows, what is it, what is Georgia? What is Georgia if if Oregon is legit? I mean, that feeds us right back into our next game, the Georgia South Carolina game. I actually, I mean, we I think we both picked Georgia, but Obviously. there were a bunch of people that that had Georgia leaving leaving South Carolina, leaving Williams Bryce was an upset. Really, I saw a couple of them, and I mean, I can't I can't say anything after picking Oregon week one, but. Yeah, I mean, I talk about it here saying it's almost – I compare Shohei Otani to Georgia. Shohei is almost ready for that step above Major League Baseball, and there's not one. And Georgia, as a college football team, seems – I mean, as 
without a doubt, has proven to, to look like the best team in college football right now. It's almost like they're ready for that next step, and there's not one. Yeah, I'll ask myself a little bit right here. Obviously, I did pick Georgia, but I, I'm about to say, I've been high on South Carolina. I thought they were going to be a really good team this year, yeah. and I, this still remains to be seen, but they're 1-2 and two now. And Shane Beamer, obviously, at the press conference, I don't know if you watched it, but he was not a happy camper. He got really mad at a reporter that asked, like, Does it, is this team still want it? I just – I, no, I, it's one of those questions: Is Georgia that good, or South Carolina not as good as we thought they were? And I think it might be. I think I think it's both. Actually, I, agree. I think Georgia's insanely. I think they're just a league above everybody. Like even like the Alabamas and the Ohio States and all of them. I, but I also think that South Carolina might not be quite as good as we thought. But again, we'll see. It, I mean, it is Georgia, and they're just—it's just not even fair. It, yeah, it's really not. And I mean, I said it a couple weeks ago, so I just got to remind everybody. I had mailman. As a shot for the Heisman, and I feel like I feel like early on it was or preseason it was like no nah, like he's gonna he's gonna fall back he had his one little his one little skid or his one little three or four game ride where everything seemed to work but it's not gonna end up working that way. Well, it's definitely still going because thirteen of his first nineteen drives with the offense have resulted in touchdowns. No, and it's one of those things where Bryce Young, if he's like, this is what Bama quarterbacks get. The I mean, you have talent around you, and that's true. But no, Stinson Bennett, just in, again, if you watch him in the pocket, he's it just seems like he's a different player than he was like from last season early on. And as you see, so you saw he progress, he progressed. He just, and he just looks that much better, even from the national championship game last year. He really year. does, yeah. And I mean, it's, again, like what you were saying, it helps to have the talent and the offensive line, but you still have to be able to deliver the ball. And I mean, he's completing over seventy percent of his passes. And let's let's not forget, he hasn't thrown the ball in the fourth quarter yet. Much less, he hasn't taken a snap in the fourth quarter. And he's, I mean, it's hard to say that he's his numbers aren't looking good enough to hold up that trophy at the end of the year. I uh, I feel like he definitely could. Well, that also brings us to a bounce back game that this team sorely needed. Texas A and M taking care of business against Miami, seventeen to nine. Uh, watching this game, it just it seemed like a very sloppy game. And if you looked at the stat line, if you looked at just the stat line, you would say, oh, Miami won this game easy. Miami had more yards. Miami had not 392 yards to A&M's 264. I mean, beating by 100 yards, time of possession was like 15 minutes out of whack. Miami dominated just the stat line, but Texas A&M gets it done. Just, it's just, And, and they, needed, they needed that sorely, especially after the last week's loss against App State. They really did. Like what you, were, you said, they took care of business. I feel like that's putting it very, very nicely because – I mean, other than the score, they really didn't. So, <laughs> I guess, it. I mean, going into or bringing Arkansas into town, you know, it almost raises a little bit more concerns of how are we going to move the ball? How are we going to be able to score against an offense that is run by K.J. Jefferson, who is a very good offensive team? Yeah, we'll talk about this more when, when we do talk about the Arkansas game. But I feel like with A&M, we know how talented they are. We've seen their recruiting class. And it's just, again, last week with App State was just like a wow moment. Everybody blaming Jimbo. Rightfully so. I, I did too. It just seems like you know they have the talent. And I think I think they, it helps that they got Miami early. I feel like if you oh, get definitely. this Miami team later, that this might have been a different story. Because we got to remember Cristobal is still like, what, Miami's third, fourth game down there? Yeah. I mean, they're still pretty green down there. But A&M did sorely need it. And it, it doesn't matter how ugly it was, they got the win. So, I mean, that's all you can really say. Yeah, and I mean, credit to Max Johnson, uh, the former LSU starter who got the start at A&M. Went 10 of 20 for 140, 140 yards and a touchdown. Obviously, stats don't look amazing, but it was good enough to get the win. And 
I know that there's obviously a week three game that we could talk about a lot, but we're going to have to save that for the end of the show. And we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Weagle, or you're listening to Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1 FM. And welcome back to Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1. And now it is time for, as I've just learned, the highly acclaimed segment, Who's Hot and Who's Not? And Christian, do you want to start us off with this one? I will, yeah. So we're going to start off on the hot side. I feel like the not almost brings a little bit more comedy to it. So we're going to start on the, the who's hot. And for number four, I just have quotes. Because I feel like in the world of college football, quotes are just something that seem to either fire a team up or it's something that you wish almost wasn't said. And there's two of them that stood out to me today, or two, two ideas along the lines of quotes and the first one is just RG3. RG3 is the, the noon ESPN announcer. And I'm, I'm not even sure if I'm allowed to say on air some of the quotes that he has because he rhymes, he rhymes last names with certain words or he alludes to different things with other words. But the main reason I have this highlighted is because he is coming down to announce the Auburn game this weekend. He is. And so it almost makes it to where I don't want to go to the game because I just want to listen. Because there's, there's there's bound to be some sort of eye-raising comment that just makes you laugh. And, I mean, I haven't been too highly on him as an announcer, but having him say stuff like that, it's hard not to laugh. No, it's funny. With RG3, I told somebody this, if I don't care – about the game, I'm fine with yes. listening to him. Because, yeah. he, he, I mean, again, he makes me laugh so hard. I, I think he's hilarious. But, again, if I care about it, if it's like Auburn LSU primetime yeah. and he's on, Mute. I, I'm, I'm getting a little worried. Yeah, I'm getting a little worried. I'm, I am I just uh, – I don't know. I'm going to Andy Bertram. I'm not, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not listening to RG3. Yeah, and then the second one, it actually came on college game day. Luke Combs was the guest celebrity picker for the college game day. And he gave a nice little shout-out to Jimbo on the call. He did. It was very nice of him. Uh, what, what exactly did he say again? I well, can't, can't quite remember. So, as you know, Miami played Texas A&M, and I believe every single, or at least a majority of the booth selected Miami to win. And he let Jimbo know that he was very grateful for the $1.5 million donation to the school. And so because of that, you know, he's a big fan of Jimbo now. So he picked, he picked A&M to win. And, hey – it pays to be a nice guy because he ended up getting the pick right. I better say it, 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 but it is very nice of Jimbo to pay Appalachian State to come down there um, and get a win, and I get mean. a win, and, and and gave him a win. So one point three million and a win. That's just that just shows the heart of Jimbo Fisher. That, in my opinion, that's what I think. I mean, he's just he's he's almost giving back. He's like, you know, I stole a bunch <laughs> of the five star recruits. We paid them to come here. We'll give a little bit of money out. You know, Boone. In App State, y'all haven't had college game day. We we get them all the time. We're actually getting them this weekend, so we'll let y'all have them. Uh, we'll let y'all have them next week. And yeah, that's obviously joking, but it's just it's funny to see how people how people take and run with these quotes. Oh, I mean, no, I, I don't I don't blame Luke Combs. If I had a chance to go on there, I'd have I'd have made a joke about Jimbo all day long. Uh, next one, uh, if y'all don't know who this is, Josh Pate. He's uh he does podcasts for two forty seven sports late cake with Josh Pate. Me and Christian both love him. We listen to him. Uh, kind of like a kind of like a idol to us, especially with what we want to do. He had a pretty great quote uh that he tweeted out because he was actually at the Auburn Penn State game. He was like on the field. He, they go to one big game every week, and usually they want to pick the best game that they think is going to be close. And obviously, I don't think he quite picked the right one last week for the Penn State-Auburn game. He tweeted out during the game, it's quite enough in Jordan-Hare that I could listen to the App State radio call of that Hail Mary. 
Yeah, and so we don't have uh, we don't have a sound bite of the of the radio call or anything. But here we're gonna give we're gonna give you a little brief. Uh, so so y'all can understand. We're gonna give you a brief sound of what the radio call sounded like on the Hail Mary. You ready? Here we go. And that was about it. That was about what the radio call sounded like. So the fact that that tweet was said that that was how quiet Jordan Hare was that he could hear. Almost nothing. It's no, pretty and, funny. And look again, when me and Christian, we were—I mean, I, I was in the stadium for this, and someone asked me, "Was the atmosphere just not good?" No, I mean, everybody was before the game. It's just like anything else. I thought it was the most. I thought, in my opinion, this was the most important game in a couple years for Auburn. It was a huge game for Harson. No, everybody oranged out. This it looked. The stadium looked awesome. Everybody was hyped up. But again, when you're getting the when you're getting the brake speed off you in the third quarter, people just aren't going to stay around and sit for that. Now, I don't blame the fans either. I Again, I had to work the game, but if I didn't, I'd probably been out of there too. Yeah, I might have made a, made a quick exit there. No, no, you, you <laughs> wouldn't have done that. But no, just in case nobody picked up on it, neither of us talked during that segment. So if you didn't hear anything, it wasn't that we messed up. You actually weren't supposed to hear anything because that's how quiet the radio call was on a surprising Hail Mary that, I mean, a statement win or a statement game for their school. Bring us on to number two. You know, I don't know if I – I know you're a big dancer. I've seen you on the dance floor a couple yeah, times. I'm very Would good. Would you say that your go-to dance is a dab? Uh, I wouldn't say usually, but it is in my repertoire, so I, okay. do, I do know a lot you about gotta, it. you got to use it every once in a while, yeah, but it obviously. can't be – Okay, I got gotcha. you. Well, if that's the case, then you would be a very big fan of North Dakota State. With one minute left in the first quarter, Cam Miller, the quarterback for North Dakota State, completed a 31-yard touchdown pass to Hunter Lupke. He followed by not doing a regular dab, but instead a leg dab. Oh. And <laughs> leg if you know dab. how, if you know, if you know the visualizations of a dab, imagine that with your legs. Uh, yeah, it's pretty funny. ESPN commented and said that it is the most electrifying celebration in all of college football. No, I, I think it, I think it's it's got to be up there with. Uh, I don't know if you saw uh, Miami's tight end Gasecki. Oh, Gasecki's gritty. Yeah, <laughs> a little gritty. I, I think we we've seen over over this weekend the two best. Uh, touchdown celebrations in history of our sport yeah i mean justin jefferson jamar chase you can you can step aside the leg dab and the sprint gritty <laughs> the are sprint now gritty. are now the the two moves to go to or the waddle for Jalen waddle you got to get rid of that no, just you just got to sprint to the sprint to your sideline doing the gritty or give a little leg dab and that's that's about that's about what it needs to be and that's about the best way to represent college football and then bringing it to number one my best hot of the week it's actually a little bit more of a serious note. Louisiana Tech traveled down to Clemson to take on the Tigers. Clemson was without one of their top defensive players and arguably one of the highest recruits ever in all of college football, Brian Breezy. Breezy, this, earlier this week, lost his 15-year-old sister to brain cancer. And Ella Strong, or Ella Breezy was her name, Ella Strong was written on a bunch of the players' Uh, a bunch of the teammates' tape and stuff like that. Uh, I heard that there was actually a shooting star over Death Valley right before Clemson uh, touched the rock and took the field. But after the game, Dabo Sweeney was handed basically a box, and in that box had an envelope. Long story short, every single Louisiana Tech player, coach, and staff member wrote a letter, a handwritten letter to Brian Breezy, just letting him know that they're thinking about him and they're with their prayers. And I feel like that's bigger than football. I feel like that's that's just awesome. No, it's just a really class act by the Louisiana Tech team and staff. I remember going on – because I didn't know about the story until I went on Instagram, and I just saw a box of 
it, again, it was a box of letters and it had the LaTeX logo yeah. on it. And I was like, what, like, what, why are they posting this? And then I read it and it was coming from Clemson's uh, Instagram. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, wow. Like yeah. that's, that's just something that, again, that, it's bigger than football. And I know that LaTeX La obviously isn't on the program level of Clemson, but that, just, that shows a lot of class from them. And just again, that my heart goes out to obviously Brian Breezy and his family. That's I mean that's that's awful, but yeah. uh, no class act by LaTeX. Yeah, it's definitely it's one of those moments that again with the with the context of bigger than football. I mean, it's a coach you'd want to play for. I feel like that's not it's not necessarily carried about or care. I mean, you obviously care about the wins and the losses and the numbers and the stats and everything, but simply being a good human. I mean. It's just, I mean, I feel like that's one of the classier acts that we've seen in the world of sports in a pretty long time for, for you and for your players to all do that. I feel like that's just one of the, one of the cooler things that I've seen in a while. No, it was awesome. But uh, now we, unfortunately, we will have to be going to the not section and coming in at number four, how about those Bruins? How, how about the UCLA crowd? They're they're really just showing up for their team, aren't they? I mean, I feel like if we went in there, we might be able to be recognized with how many people are, are in the stands. They actually might. They might be like, wait, Donovan and Christian from yeah. Tailgate Talk? Yeah. And we're like, yeah, and and all the five people would come <laughs> up to us. It's like, it's like going to an Oakland A's game. I mean, no, I was, I was 3,000 people. Again, shocked. I'm going to shout out Instagram again here because this is where I saw this on. It's just nobody. It, it's almost like it, – it, it, Instead of a football game going on, it just looks like people snuck into the stadium. Yeah. Like, that's kind of what it looked like because there's nobody there. Yeah, it looks like a middle school practice. Like, that's almost essentially what it is. I mean, it was it was so bad that Troy Aikman referred to it as an embarrassment. And to give to give a little stats for it, I mean, UCLA's 3-0. and It's not like they're dragging out losses where they're getting blown out of the water. They're 3-0. and They're undefeated. And the attendance for last week's game was 29,344. That is second behind a 27,143-person viewing two weeks prior. And to give a little little comparison, Jordan Hare fits just over 87,000. So you're getting just over a quarter of that in what is arguably the most famous stadium in college football, the Rose Bowl. Yeah, I was going to say the Rose Bowl. For Auburn fans listening, going to Pasadena in 2013 – uh, for any Georgia fans or anything like that, you know, game against Oklahoma, we see on TV or at the game how electric that place can be. It holds over 90,000. So the fact that you're not even filling up a third in wins, it, it shows it's not it's not a very good look for, for UCLA. It's not a good look for the recruiting class. I mean, it's – I don't know. I don't want to – I want to get your opinion on what you think that that looks like for UCLA. I mean, just personally, if I was a top recruit, even if I it was in California, I wouldn't – I mean, you go to college football per, uh, partly because the atmosphere. Yeah. Like, wh- why? Why do you want to come to Auburn? Why do you want to come to Bama? I mean, obviously, you want to play for a top tier program, make make it to the next level. But it's that crowd, that electric. I mean, again, if if even the hostile crowd, uh, it, it feeds it feeds against you, but it also feeds you. I mean, you're doing that. You're, you're bringing in that many people, and then just across the way is USC and Caleb Williams and all of them. That I mean. They're bringing in people, so I mean, it's it's really not a good look for for UCLA. No, it's not. UCLA is a big time program, so it's just it, again, it's kind of embarrassing just for college football that that actually happens and it's continuing to happen. But I don't know, UCLA, they got to get their stuff together. Coming in at number three, I'll let Christian talk about this, but <laughs> Texas did a little bit of spending over the weekend. They did, yeah. I guess after their Bama loss, they realized how huge Quinn Quinn Ewers is and how big of a quarterback that that that, that the quarterback spot can be. So because of that, uh, regardless if you're regardless if you're young or you're old, the last name Manning 
should ring a bell when it comes to the sport of football. Whether it's Arch, Eli, Peyton, I feel like they all had pretty solid careers. I don't, you know, I feel, what would you say? Would you say pretty solid careers? Yeah, they were okay. They, okay. Weren't, they weren't too bad. Just yeah. a couple Super Bowls thrown in there. Yeah, yeah. Well, the nephew, uh, his name is Arch Manning. He is a recruit who just committed to Texas. And this past weekend, a grand total of $280,000 was spent on his recruiting visit. Now, granted, there were six or seven other players, but the fact that six or seven players aren't named and Arch Manning is named, I think that that shows who the grand total of money was gone to. And obviously that wasn't pocketed, but kind of shows you what he's looking at in the future. Over $47,000 were spent on hotel expenses. $10,000 was spent on Top Golf. I don't know if you've ever been to Top Golf, but I try and go with like six or seven people, so I'm only having to spend like eight bucks yeah. an hour. Yeah, and you go earlier in the day, so yeah, yeah exactly. you, you don't you don't get those high prices at night. So seeing a comma in your grand total, I feel like that's that's pretty impressive. And then ninety five thousand dollars was spent on food. I would have loved to be at that place just to see what I mean. I feel like there's foods that I've never even heard of that might have been at that meal. I think we need to go get press passes and just be I like, agree. "Hey, we're, recru- we're 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 following Arch Manning's recruiting. Can we can we can we, can we can yeah? We, can we just get a meal? Yeah, just hey, real quick? We, we know him real quick. I mean, just you know, you're, you're gonna have a little bit of extras. Just feed the family. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, that's I don't I don't know. It's crazy to think that the NIL three or four years ago wasn't even a thought to be in college football and now all of a sudden I'm sure that's not even like the biggest of what we've what we know of now I'm sure that there's been bigger ones it's just because of the name that that Arch Manning follows but that brings us to number two on the who's not and I almost put this as a hot just because I feel like the college football world needs it but there's a diehard UCL or a UConn fan I'm sorry who traveled to Michigan traveled to Ann Arbor to watch his team get absolutely demolished. But there's a scene of him in the upper deck at the start of the fourth quarter. College football fans know. Start of the fourth quarter, everybody holds up the four to represent the fourth quarter. That's when, every, that's when everything gets real. Well, after three, Michigan was winning 45 to nothing. However, this UConn fan, who was completely painted from head to toe, half of his side was blue, half of his side was white, was dancing to the music and holding up four. And, I mean, as comical as it is, I don't know if it shows dedication or I don't know if he's a dad or what but man I need the love that he has I about to say uh, I love Auburn <laughs> no never never in my life would I go watch a, a whoop down and just stand and also again he was you know holding up the four so again, he's he, ready for it yeah he was in high spirits I I don't think I quite would have been that excited if I no, was him. I don't think so at all and number one we'll go kind of quickly here before we go to a short break but Arizona head coach Erm Edwards was arguably or possibly fired in the end zone following his loss to Central Michigan. And I don't know how impressive that is to do if that's the case. He went 26-20 and in four seasons and three games at Arizona State. But just walking off of your home field, you get met up by the athletic director and a couple other people. You have a little discussion, and then you just you see him walk away. So, I mean... That's hard to do to get fired in your own end zone. I'm about to say that would be tough. I and I feel like there's are some cases where that where they say like obviously that didn't happen, but that's I mean that has happened and it's early in the year. It is. Can you can you imagine getting fired after three games? Like why did what, it, you almost feel like why didn't you just make the change 
Um, Three games ago. Yeah, preseason. Why, 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 why did you? Because now you got to go what nine more games with an interim head coach, and then you're gonna, and then, and then you got to go try to find another one. I don't really get the reasoning, but no, that I mean that's tough for for Herm Edwards. So maybe, maybe his buyout's pretty good, and he'll, he'll get a nice little paycheck. Yeah, uh, I'm sure that's what he's hoping for, but I don't know. It's not looking too good over there at the Sun Devil place. No, not at all. But uh, we're going to take a short break. We're coming back with a week four preview, and then we will be talking about those Auburn Tigers. So just stick in for that. You are listening to Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1. And welcome back into Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1. We have finally made it to our week four preview. Not a ton of games to talk about here because we do want to get to Auburn and we want to spend a good bit of time on our Tigers. But we do have three uh, ranked uh, matchups between, and two of them, our SEC matchups for the East and the West, big uh, big implications. First one, number 10, Arkansas, playing against number 23, Texas A&M, in a quote-unquote neutral site game in Arlington, Texas, but not, not quite not quite a, as far of a drive for the, the Aggies and the Razorbacks. The Aggies are favored by two and a half. How do you see that one playing out? Yeah, I mean, Arkansas is coming off a scare against Missouri State. I mean, down – I mean, they won 38-27, which I guess looks a little bit convincing, but they were down 10 early in the fourth quarter. It was bad. And so I remember seeing an Arkansas like Arkansas football tweet, and I don't want to don't want to misquote them, but it's something along the lines of, "Well, uh, Hogs win," and like that was all that yep. was all that was nope, said because it was like, "All right, we won. Let's get the heck out of this stadium and let's <laughs> let's call it a night." But hey, a win is a win. And I mean, every every team's gonna have that their their few games of struggles, but biggest case, you walk out of there with a W. Uh, Max Johnson, the starter for for A and I'm I'm presuming he would be the starter after getting the start against Miami. He's got to look better than he did against Miami. A and M, they have to be able to move the ball. Uh, I mean, their defense is only allowing eight point seven points per game, but their offense clearly has not been anything less than subpar to begin with and so going against that I think it'll be pretty low scoring I think the A&M defense will hold KJ Jefferson for long enough but at the end of the day I got Arkansas I mean I guess you can call it an upset Uh, two and a half points that's a field goal I got Arkansas by a field goal I got him 31 to 28. Yeah I'm actually surprised Arkansas is not favored I'm I mean again just A&M has not looked good at all this year even I know they beat Miami last week but they looked bad when they beat Miami last week, and then obviously they lose App State. I know Arkansas coming off kind of a scare against Missouri State, right? Yes. But, I mean, that's just a – I don't know. I feel like that was just kind of an anomaly. Arkansas's looked good besides that. Plus, again, I'll look at the quarterbacks here. you got Max Johnson for A&M versus K.J. Jefferson at Arkansas. And, again, you know how high I am on K.J. Jefferson. I think I just think, I think the Hogs get this done. I think they're ground and pound. I think KJ kind of does whatever he wants, and I just don't know how much Max Johnson's going to do against that Arkansas front seven. I've got Arkansas. I say about twenty-seven, seventeen. I think it's a little. I think the game will be close. Obviously, Arkansas probably twenty-one, seventeen. Then maybe they they pull away way late with a touchdown, just kind of secure it. Okay. All right. Well, bringing us down into. I'm sorry, into, into Neyland. Um, Florida taking on Tennessee. Tennessee opens as a 10.5-point favorite. Florida's won 16 of the last 17, including the 38-14 to 14 victory last season. How do you see it playing out? Yeah, as they say, not so fast. I hope uh, Florida has enjoyed their little win streak because Tennessee's about to bring it down. Again, Tennessee's ranked number 11 right behind Arkansas. I think, again, Florida's ranked at uh, 20. I, again, I just again the AP just giving them way too much credit. 
I don't, you know, the, the spread's 10 and a half. I could see this being close, but given this as is in Neyland, again, Anthony Richardson, he just, at first I was really high on him, and I do think he's a great talent, but he's he's got to show me a little more before I can even trust him somewhat at all. I think Dan Hooker has a great game, and I see. I, I think Tennessee wins this one pretty easily, 34-17. I, I, think, I think they're going to win pretty easy. Yeah, I mean, Florida coming off of a three-point win to USF. That wasn't a very impressive win. I mean, USF isn't – isn't a team that you can overlook. However, you know, being Florida, you you almost expect to take care of business there. And like what you were saying, Anthony Richardson, he can run the ball, but he has not been impressive at all through the air. I don't think he has a touchdown pass in his first three games, has four interceptions. And you look on the other side of the ball, yeah, Hendon Hooker is the real deal. Leading them into leading leading them out of um of Pittsburgh with a win. He has looked very well so far. I think it's closer than the spread, though, just because nobody's going to give Florida a chance, and I feel like that's you know almost what SEC teams can feed off, feed off of. But like what you were saying, I think the Vols are too big in Neyland. The th- um, yeah, I got I got the Vols winning forty-two to thirty-five. Yeah, and that'll that'll bring us to a game that I think a lot of people probably aren't even looking at, but I and mean, it is a ranked matchup, and it's an ACC game, and I think it means a lot. You got Clemson. Going in to play the Demon Dink against Wake Forest, uh, I think that spreads at seven right now for Clemson. What do you think about that one? Yeah, I mean, Clemson has underperformed so far, I would say, and I think a bunch of people would say. I think they've almost gone a little bit under the radar. They've won, haven't brought too much light to their name. That's why they're coming in with number five. But I think that's almost just because of their name, because of Dabo and what he's done. But you're still hearing a lot of complaints about the offense. DJ Uigalele uh, has not looked impressive at all. You know, I feel like this is his third year coming in as a starter. His very first start against Georgia, where Georgia won 10-3. to No, this was, that was last year. I'm sorry. Uh, but you were expecting him to take that step that year. And I feel like Clemson fans are still waiting for it. When you had Trevor Lawrence or Deshaun Watson at quarterback, you, you felt very comfortable in the leader of the offense. But... Dabo's hinted a couple times of bringing in their true freshman, Cade Klubnik, who a bunch of Clemson fans argue should have had the start to begin with. And, um, I mean, looking at the other side of the ball with Wake Forest, Wake Forest is coming off a, a near or a near loss to the Malik Willisless yep. Liberty team. Uh, Two-point conversion is the only thing that kept that game. They lost – they won 36 – yes, 37 to 36, sorry. Um, Wake Forest is going to have to run the ball. And that, against that Clemson front seven, that's going to be tough to do. Shout out to Buford High School. Uh, Christian Turner, graduated a year above me, is leading the Demon Deacons in rushing with 149 yards. Ooh, man, he's just tearing that up through three games. games. That's just tearing it up, isn't it? They only have 384 net rushing yards as a team, and Clemson's allowing 71 rushing yards per game. I think it's going to be closer than what this – I mean – I don't know. Seven is respectable. Yeah, I feel I like say, that's, that's, not... that's respect. I got it twenty-seven, twenty-one. Clemson. Okay. But given that point or two, I would be surprised. The over/under is fifty-five and a half right now. I'd be surprised if that hits. No, I don't think it will hit. And I'm actually the opposite of you. I think Wake Forest is going to throw the ball. I think it's all on Sam Hartman. If Wake Forest is going to win this game, I think he's got to be incredible. And I do think he's a really good quarterback. Obviously, last year Wake Forest had a really good year. I think they're really good again this year. I don't know if they're quite as good as they were last year. But then again, Clemson. Again, they are ranked five. I'm not really sure why they are. They I mean, they haven't proven that at all. Again, name recognition and all that. 
quarterback situation definitely up in the air there. I I wouldn't be surprised if you did say if you did see K. Klubnik come in uh, mid game. Maybe if like something bad's happened, like nightmare scenario where Wake Forest is beating them again. Uh, Clemson. Who did Clemson play uh, week one? That uh, Georgia Tech. Yeah, Georgia Tech. Yeah, and that win score wise looked good, but it wasn't until the fourth quarter that they really they really looked like Clemson. Yeah, exactly. So. I don't know. I just I'm kind of I'm kind of iffy on this. Obviously, I want to go Clemson. That's probably the smart pick. But it is at Wake, and again, I feel like for some reason the Demon Deacons they'll just pull out some games that you just don't think. You know what? I'm I'm gonna I'm just gonna do it. I think Sam Hartman gets it done. I think Wake Forest does beat Clemson in a tight one, 24-23. I think they win by one point again. Heck yeah! Yeah. I mean that's a that'll that'll tear up some ACC some ACC predictions because I know Clemson's obviously favored. To win that, and I think they have a pretty good shot at making it into the playoffs. Very good. Coming yeah. off of this, if they come off a win here. But Donovan's saying otherwise. We're going to take a short break before we get to the segment that most people were probably hoping that we wouldn't get to, but we're definitely going to have time for them. We're going to talk about Auburn. Is it time to hit the panic button? We'll find out here on Weagle 91.1. And welcome back to Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1. And it has come to the segment that I've been waiting for because <laughs> uh, this is really what I wanted to talk about. We're going to talk about just Auburn. Obviously, last Saturday getting blown out at home. Worst home loss since Georgia back in 2012 in the dreaded 3-9 and nine year with good old Gene Chizik at the helm. Auburn loses to Penn State 41-12. to Four turnovers, allowing 245 yards rushing and five rushing touchdowns. That's how much the Nittany Lions had. I said last week that I thought Auburn was going to win because of their rushing defense. Well, boy, was I wrong. And I feel like a lot of fans have just already written Harson off like, in their mind, he's gone. Is it time to hit the panic button? I don't want to say that yet. Yet, I mean, I feel like the easy answer is always yes. And, I mean, for all I know, the answer might already be, you know, underlying. But I feel like as much of a win game this was for Auburn last week, this is a must-win game for Harson this week. I really do think that if, if Missouri comes down here, Auburn's favored by a touchdown, and there's a bunch of fans saying, how are we favored? If we're favored by a touchdown and Missouri comes in and wins, I think that might be all she wrote. Again, I don't want to make that speculation, but that's how I see it. Again, very, very bad loss at home. Uh, usually by week three and week four, you hope to have a bunch of the question marks answered. And I feel like after last week, more question marks arose. I feel like Penn State gave scouting to the rest of the teams that Auburn's going to play of. Here, here's the recipe. This is all you have to do. Because other than that one throwback to Clifford in, what was it, the second quarter, that was the only really trick play that they had to run. Because other than that, I mean, they dominated on both sides of the ball. I about to say, they absolutely, again, they, just like you said, they dominated on both sides of the ball. And I literally had this in my notes. Just like you said, I said first of many must-wins. I have that in quotation marks for games for Harson. I feel like besides, like, Georgia, he's got a lot of must-wins coming up. Yeah. You got to win this week. And then I think you got to win next week, too, at LSU, uh, when LSU comes into town because, honestly – Missouri doesn't look very good. LSU, I know, I know they beat Mississippi State, but they just they don't look very good. Then you got to go to Georgia. I don't think anybody's gonna say anything if you lose that game because they probably are the best team in the country. But no, for Harson, 
this obviously this is a must-win game. It's homecoming, which I, I don't think that has anything to do with it. But after, again, if you, if Penn State would have beat you, and it would have been close, even if it was like a two-score game, but you kept it close, you kept it competitive, I think people would probably be annoyed, but they'd be like, you know what, maybe Penn State's pretty good. And I do think Penn State's a good team. Yeah, definitely. But you can't – I've just – Auburn doesn't get blown out. It doesn't no. matter how bad they are. Again, take last uh, last year, for example. Auburn's, what, uh, six and si- – or sorry, six and five. Bama comes in, number one team in the country, and they should have beat them. Obviously, Bama's better than them, but, again, Jordan-Hare Stadium just does something to you. It didn't do anything to those Nittany Lions. They just ran through us. Yeah, they really did. I have it here talking about, you know, looking looking for next week. I mean, you got to win the turnover game. We were minus three going into last week. Now we're minus seven. I don't feel like this offense has what it takes to outgain the better opponents. I feel like we have to capitalize in ways that aren't necessarily ways that the stat line would see a win. Almost, I mean, if you want to look at it to where, you know, the Texas A&M-Miami game, it almost needs to be like that. You get outgained, you look at the stats saying, how did A&M win that game? But they did. They come out with a win. The defense has to give them, has to give the offense a short field, and the offense has to take advantage and capitalize when the defense does give them that short field. If you look back at it, the very first possession of the game, Owen Papo lays a hit on Sean Clifford, gets the stadium absolutely electric gets a fourth-and-one stop, gets the ball back to the offense at midfield. Now, offense stalled, settled for a field goal, which, you know, you obviously would have loved a touchdown. And I feel like that's been something that's been written about Auburn for a while now is the inability to score touchdowns in the red zone. Anders Carlson with a 31-yard field goal and a 22-yard field goal early in the – I mean, I feel like you put those as touchdowns there, it goes 14-14 to at halftime rather than 14-6, to and you're right back in it. Yeah, exactly. It just and then yeah, that second half just felt like there was no energy. It was funny. I'm gonna I'm gonna plug uh, the uh, so I write for the Plainsman, right? And we do a podcast called Page Eight, and I was on this week. And our our podcast person who who hosts that just says straight up, "Are there any positives from this game?" <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, "No, there's not. This it was awful. I mean, it was just it, it I mean, it just it was shocking to see how bad Auburn played on everything. And I'm gonna keep on going back to it." They rushed for 245 yards in Jordan Hare, which was the only thing Auburn was doing good in their first two games. They were holding people to rushing yard, to limited rushing yards, and again, I know those were technically two cupcakes, but again, that's the only thing the Tigers are doing well on the offense side of the ball. Just the, I mean, I hate to, I hate, I hate to be like rude here, but just the offensive line's just not doing it. Quarterback play. Uh, uh, by the way, we're, this was just reported today. TJ's out. He's gone. TJ Finley will not be playing Saturday. So probably going to be Robbie Ashford. I, I mean, we assume because we, we haven't seen Zach Calzada go into a game once. We don't know what's going on there. Not a whole lot of positives for Auburn right now. So do you have any positives? Because I just I don't know. I mean, I don't want to use the word positive, but I mean, if the only thing that I'm trying to be optimistic about here is. Maybe it was an Oregon-Georgia situation to where, I mean, Penn State maybe could just be that good. And, they, I mean, and Auburn might still be good. Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> I'm not just kidding. <laughs> but, again, no, I don't know how many positives there are. Um, I mean, I'm, try- I'm trying to think of positives. You never want to be – you never want to be the guy that hopes for an injury because – that's never what you hope for as a fan. Legitimately, you don't hope for that. 
So I don't want to use the term addition by subtraction for the offense, but I think that this game could be good for Robbie in the fact of it's, hey, this is your game. It's not a, we'll give you three or four plays in the first half. You'll sit out for a couple drives. You'll get another play right before halftime or something like that. Offense stalls early in the third quarter. You get the ball with four minutes left in the third quarter. All right, this is your drive. Go make something happen. I can only imagine the pressure that he feels to go and produce immediately as soon as he takes the field when he's just been sitting there for for X amount of time. So I don't want to write off the mistakes as something like that, but I'm sure that he feels a little bit of pressure to go out and produce immediately when the, when the rest of the offense hasn't. Yeah, again, uh, I think Colin Coward said this one time, two quarterback systems just don't work. No, And they, they, don't. they don't work in college football. They don't work at the NFL level. And when you try to do it, it's, no one can get in rhythm. No. Again, I, T, I think TJ completed like two passes, and you kind of felt like he was getting a rhythm, and then Robbie goes in there. And then I think a penalty happens, and then you bring TJ back, and I'm just like, what are you doing? Yeah, I, I think you have to, unless unless you wanted to use like TJ as your main guy, and then Robbie strictly like a wildcat, just like for certain situations. But that wasn't what it, it almost felt like. He was just switching them out, and I, you can't do that. Especially, you can't, yeah, you can't switch. You can't have okay on this drive. It's two plays for TJ, one play for Robbie. Then we'll see. Then we'll go from there. So obviously, no one wishes for injury. That's that's awful. We hope TJ gets healthy soon. But I do think. This might end, just end up being better for Auburn because they're they're gonna go with Robbie. I'd, I'd 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 have to think because people are like, where's Zach Calzada? And again, I I, I don't want to speculate anything because like, but he hasn't seen any action so far. I doubt we see him this Saturday. I feel like it's gonna be all Robbie. So, I mean, for for better or for worse, Robbie Ashford will be the starting quarterback from uh, the first quarter to the fourth quarter this Saturday against Missouri. Yeah, I would agree and. I feel like it could be good. I'm actually high on Auburn this weekend for that standpoint. I had Robbie as the starter going into this week because I feel like after a loss like that, it's almost time. It's almost like I felt like Auburn was clinging on to hope. And then after a performance all around, obviously not not anywhere pointing fingers at TJ, but it almost comes more down to like what you were saying, the offensive line. I feel like with the offensive line that struggles as much as they do, you need to find success in helping them as much as possible. You can't be the team that's, okay, we're going to drop back, hold your blocks for five seconds, I got a seven-step got a seven step drop for the quarterback, and we got to find a deep post. That's not going to work. It has to be the running quarterback system because, again, when Tank's getting the ball and there's – or sorry, when the, if we're in shotgun or whatever, TJ takes the snap, hands the ball out to Tank. Nobody in the stadium, much less the defense, is thinking, oh, TJ might keep it here. No, you can sell out on Tank. With Robbie, even his four-yard runs, three-yard runs, I feel like they're electric. They get the defense, they spread them out, enough to where holes begin to open up. And, again, I mean, I know that teams know how to run the QB read, or teams know how to defend the QB read, but if it's run correctly, not only does it help, not only would it help Robbie, but it would help open up the running back situation because the defensive edge and the linebackers are having to at least sell the bait for a second or two on, oh, Robbie might keep it. And at the time, Tank's already breaking the line of scrimmage. It turns a two-yard run into a four- or five-yard run, and you get 10 of those a game. I mean, that's 50 extra yards if you're looking at it that way. And you tell me that that's not going to help keep the offense going. And then on the times when Robbie does keep it, He's got the seal. He can turn the corner, and we've seen we've seen how electric he can be with the ball in his hands. And then again, that helps the offensive line because 
all of a sudden the blitz becomes a little bit more sketchy because if you pick the wrong holes, you have nobody in the secondary to stop the run. Or if TJ breaks, or I'm sorry, if Robbie breaks contain on the outside, he's got a rush and he beats the cornerback and it's a touchdown. So I think that the running the two or the running quarterback system I think could help the offense and not just with Robbie but with the running backs and with the offensive line. I definitely don't think it'll hurt. Uh, no. Obviously, off of Saturday's performance, again, the offense just looked in shambles, just didn't look very good. We are about to have to go, but real quick, uh, Christian, you want to give your score prediction? Yeah. Um, I mean, a couple, a couple more things if I have time. I think I think we'll be okay. I do. Uh, Brady Cook is Missouri's quarterback. He's their leading passer and rusher on the year, and he's got one favorite target, clearly. Um Dominic Lovett, Lovett, I'm sorry. He's got 16 receptions, 274 yards, and two touchdowns. I think, I think, I think I expect the defense to look good. Uh, I think, I hope the offense looks good. I'm trying to stay high on them because of all of what I just said and how I think that I'm hoping that the QB option and the QB reads can work. I got Auburn 35 to 20. I do. I think, I think that I think we'll be okay. I think the offense is going to show signs of life hopefully, and I think the defense is going to make stops when they need to. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Auburn gets it done, too. And not – again, you're a lot more positive than me. I think I think it's more of a case that Missouri's just not a very good football squad this year. They're Obviously, they're, they've been having some trouble. They got slacked uh, against Kansas State uh, last week. But I, I think Robbie – I think Robbie does improve this game. I, hopefully, the, the crowd comes up and shows support for him. But I've also got Auburn. I don't – I think it might be a little close in the first half, but I think Auburn will end up pulling away probably around 31-14, I would say, and hopefully that defense can look better. Yeah, yeah. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time for this week's episode. Make sure to follow us on Twitter. We just got a Twitter. It's up and running. It's at underscore tailgate talk. Once again, follow us on Twitter at underscore tailgate talk. Our individual socials are there as well. Feel free to leave comments on anything you think we should talk about, anything you think we're doing good at or improve. We'd love to hear feedback regardless of what it is. Uh, we said it for a couple of weeks, but we're hoping to get this podcast finalized to where it'll be on Spotify or wherever else or on the website where, we're, where we can go back or y'all could go back and listen to it. Uh, and hopefully it'll help with the college picks a little bit. Um, but yeah, if y'all are liking the word, uh, continue to spread the word. I've actually gotten a lot of positive feedback again in the segment and at the sh- uh, with the show as a whole. And we're just trying to continue to grow this production. For Donovan Weaver, I'm Christian Griffin, and we will see you next week on Tailgate Talk. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Tailgate Talk with Christian and Donovan. Tune in next week, same time, same place, Wednesdays at 3, for your weekly dose of college football.